Also Gott. Hey. Let's get this bad boy up and running. So uh it's my first sermon. I said to to Lisa uh before the first one, I was like, it's great because people know this is my first service so that sermon, so they're not expecting much. So <laughs> it should it should be better so the question was if it's my second one should it be better and uh, the, the first thing I'm going to do is take my hands out of my pocket because Chuck Proudford told me to do that and uh, he gave me some pointers you know Chuck's an incredible guy he's got such a great heart and he just has such a way of communicating with people and I'm just so blessed by him and uh, he gave me some pointers so hopefully it's better for you guys than the first one so, you know, Jeff had asked me to do a sermon on evangelism, and it's something that's really dear to my heart. Um, I haven't been as good at it as I should be, even though I have shared the gospel numerous times in my Christian walk. But, you know, it's all good and well. You can go through a whole lot of um, scripture. I mean, I know the, the gospel I've known for probably since I was about 15 the passages that I use, Romans 3.10, 3.23, 6.23, all those are Romans, uh, Ephesians 2, verse 8 and 9, John 3.16. You don't necessarily, when you're sharing the gospel with somebody, have to go, this is what John 3.16 says. Sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. But it's the word of God that speaks into the person's life. And, and God says that's what has the power to change. And I think as Christians, we sometimes take that, that power and that responsibility on ourselves to go, you know, we need to do the change. We need to be the change. And God says, just, you know, live and, and be like my son was. Have those characteristics and, and, and speak the word. And through your life and through my word, I'll do the rest. And we're going to dig into that a little bit deeper. But in terms of scripture, I can share with you, you know, how I evangelize, but what I want you to do is take a look at the church and knowing myself, knowing other believers around me, um, take a deeper look and try and actually qualify and quantify what are the statistics around this. And I had a whole bunch of statistics, but I'm only going to go through a few. And um, one of the things that's apparent is the, the greatest reason why Christians are not evangelizing is the identity in Christ. Okay? So this is a survey that they asked uh, a bunch of millennials, which is 22 to 37. And uh, you know, for the older crowd that are going, oh, the millennials, they're the, they're the problem. The, the stats, there was only about a 10% variance between the, the older crowd, 60s, 70s, versus the millennials. And I'll, I'll show you those numbers now. But they asked these, these millennials, practicing Christian millennials, which is going to church, they defined a practicing Christian as someone that went to church uh, once a month. That was the definition of practicing. And they said... Um, and this is a Bonner Group study, by the way. They, they really have an authority on um, surveys for, for Christians, faith-based surveys. So they asked these guys, they said, what, what is most important to you? And they gave them 
some things that we could define as spiritual disciplines. And they gave them this list and they said, order this in order of importance. What is most important to you in terms of the spiritual disciplines? So first was reading the Bible. Second was evangelism. Third was prayer. Fourth was worship. Fifth was silence and solitude. Sixth was communion. And seventh was acts of service. Acts of service was very lost. And it sort of just speaks to the culture of today where everything's about us. You know, and even, even believers where it's the, the, the culture is starting to transform how we, our very identity in Christ, where everything about the day and the age is, is about us and it's very little about other people. But when they asked these guys and they said, okay, so that's the order of importance for you. What have you actually done in the last month? Two very different things. The first one, only 67% had prayed in the last month. 37% had worshipped, gone to church. 30% had read the Bible. 11% had acts of service. 10% had evangelized. 5% had silence and solitude and communion. Didn't even, didn't even show up. There's no numbers to track it. It was so low. And the major, the major reason for this discrepancy between what I think and the actual doing was busyness in, in, in these people's lives, in Christians' lives. And we see that all around us. I've experienced it in my life. And I think we're doing a really bad job of uh, prioritizing Christ in our lives and we're prioritizing so many other things. And it's affecting our identity in Christ because our identity lies with the things that we are busying ourselves with. Kids, obviously that's not a bad thing, but it needs, there needs to be a balance. Schools, career, friends, all these things that we're busying ourselves with, the world, politics, and we're getting so involved with these things of the world that we're starting to lose our identity in Christ. We don't know who Christ is. We don't know how he thinks. We don't know who he, who he was, who he is. So we don't know how to acclimate ourselves and, and be moved in line with who he was as a person. And as you're going to see later, we talk about the word disciple. And the word disciple in the Bible is, is a, a reflection. Sorry, the word identity is, is a reflection to be identical in image. So we have identity as Christians, but what the survey is showing is that Christians like the idea of Christ more, they like the idea of the Bible more than what they actually are like Christ or practicing any of those spiritual disciplines. So there's this really big disconnect between what Christians, the idea they have of what it is to be a Christian and then how that actually stems out. In, in their life and has lived out in their life. So I want you to look at all these stats and see where we're going wrong. As I've mentioned, the, the, the numbers are frightening. We don't have a relationship with Christ, very limited. Um, you know, 90% of Americans, of which about 70% of those are self-identified as Christians, 52%, strongly feel their faith is important to them. Out of the 90% said they feel everyone's religion should leave them with a clear conscience. Okay, that clear conscience went around same-sex marriages, abortions, 
politics, other religions. Quickly read something to you. Let's discuss other religions quickly. And one of the ones that, that comes to the fray most often is, is Islam. We're seeing the movement, we're seeing the impact in terms of violence and so on, more incited violence through a religion. This is a religion that Barack Obama, the Pope, David Cameron, all these guys that sit at the top feel is a, is a religion of peace. So here's a, appreciate that laugh. So here's a, here's an article from an Islamist, okay, in, in the UK on Islam. And this, this article, this guy's name is Anjem Chaudhary, and uh, in a 2010 interview with CBN, he flatly rejects such interpretations of Islam. And take some time to read through this quick. You can't say that Islam is a religion of peace, he said. Because Islam does not mean peace. Islam means submission or safety and security, as I found out later. There's those two sort of definitions of it. And that safety and security is physical safety and security for the Muslim. You know, so it's, it's really about, about themselves. So there is a place for violence in Islam. There is a place for jihad in Islam. So that seems quite vague. I'm going to explain where he makes that, where he pulls that assumption from, or that statement rather. So he says the Quran contains many peaceful and tolerant verses, and these could well be used to create a genuine reformation, something several genuine reformers have tried to do. But there's a catch. All these moderate verses were written in the early phase of Muhammad's career when he lived in Mecca and had apparently decided to allure, allure people. When he moved to Medina in 1622, everything changed. He was soon a religious, political, and military leader. During the next ten years, as his religious overtures were sometimes not welcomed, the peaceful verses gave way to the jihad verses, and the intolerant diatribes against Jews, Christians, and pagans. Almost all the books of the Tafsir take for granted that the later verses abrogate the early ones. This means that the verses preaching love for all no longer are applicable except with regards to one's fellow Muslim. The verses that teach jihad, submission, and related doctrine still form the basis for the approach of many Muslim believers. As I started looking at this, what it comes down to, and I'm going I'm to finish up with a little bit more from that article, but basically what's happened is, you know, I know many, many Muslims, I've got them as friends, so, some really great people, and they, a lot of them are doing good. So this is not an attack on, on Muslims. This is, this is an attack on Islam and the, and the influence it's starting to have on our world around us and the, insightful, the, the incitedness of violence. So the Quran's exhortations to the believers, Muslim believers, to annihilate the non-believers takes up 65% of the whole book. The Quran's obsession with believers non-believers, unbelievers, disbelievers, misbelievers, ex-believers, etc., reveals a neurotically and unapologetically insecure and immature psyche inherent in Muhammad. He cannot bear to be rejected. There are more than 1,000 hostile references to non-believers, and these sword verses constitute the crime of incitement to murder. So I'm going to list two. 
of, of these passages out of 1,000, over 1,000, that incite violence on an unbelieving Muslim, Islamist. So that's everybody that, that doesn't adhere to Islam. I will cast fear in the hearts of the unbelievers, therefore behead them and cut off all their fingertips. Slay the unbelievers wherever you come upon them, take them captives and besiege them, and waylay them by setting ambushes. So the peaceful Muslims, the ones that, that we know are our friends, the good ones, um, these guys would be considered the half-baked Muslims or Islamists because they only know so much of of the Quran and, and so on. The ones that truly study, study it and really get into it are the ones that start becoming compelled to violence because that's what Muhammad calls for. Okay, So when 90% of Americans and about 70% of those are going, we feel everybody, this includes Christians, about 50% of them, we feel everybody should have a clear conscience in their religion. Do you want this person to have a clear conscience? So this is, you know, these guys, as they study this, this is what they are compelled to do. So what's happening is these guys at least have their identity. They're being moved towards something. They're, being, they're doing a better job of, of finding their identity in Islam than what we do identifying ourselves in Christ. That's, that's what's happening. Um, you know, these guys... I just want to quickly find my, where I was here, but the Islamists, and especially the extreme Islamists who teach, who technically are more knowledgeable on the various books of Islam, have orders to either convert or kill anyone who does not convert to, to, to Islam. So the, the Islamists, I was listening to a sermon by Ravi Zacharias, and he says that there are 20,000 of these Islamists who are trained in apologetics in Islam, and are trained to, to sidetrack Christians, Jews, etc. from their faith into Islam. They are trained. These guys can tear the Bible apart better than most of us can. And, and they're trained in this, and it's an ongoing thing, and it's getting more and more. All right? So they're very good at, at discipleship when it comes to, to the faith of Islam. I feel we, we're lacking there a bit. One of the arguments that they bring up in terms of, of Islam versus Christianity is, is they go that the God of the Bible also incited violence, which is true. If you look at the Old Testament, he commanded battles, wars. But if you look at the story of God in the Bible, it speaks about a God that has to signify himself as a God. He uses the small little nation of Israel to accomplish the impossible. He makes the impossible possible. And he has to do that to signify himself as God. He then goes on to say, because of your fallen state and your fallen nature, I'm going to send my son to die on the cross for your sins, because you will always choose you. You will always choose everything else but me. I'm giving you the ability to choose me. All right. So we meant enough to God. We, we meant enough to God that... It meant his son dying. All right? that's, that's the story of the Bible. That's the God of the Bible. There's self-sacrifice. That death meant that we can have eternal peace. We can have eternal fellowship with, with God. If you look at Islam, the, the story goes very different. It starts with peace and it ends in violence. All right? Which is the religion of peace? Because they're using these arguments to, to take people astray. 
Do we know the Bible well enough? And, and you don't even have to know it that well to, to be able to give a defense against a simple argument like that. But you have no idea how effective these guys' arguments are being because people don't know the Bible. They identify themselves more with the world than 90% of Christians that, that say everybody should, sorry, of Americans, that everybody should have a clear conscience and it's all this fluffy stuff. Um, or, there's this void because we're doing a bad job of identifying ourselves in Christ. We don't know Christ. We don't know our identity as Christians. Very few of us really, really do. And it comes out in the statistics. It comes out in the way we live our lives. And this is, this is creating a huge vacuum where Christians are starting to, to be pulled away. They're starting to they believe in God, but they believe in other things as well. And they're starting to speak and condone all these other things that, that are happening. So they don't know Christ, and it starts creating, you know, James, James 1 verse 22, be doers of the word, not hearers only, and so deceiving yourselves. What's happening is because we don't know Christ, we're not compelled to do. Our identity is starting to become more about the world, less about Christ, and it's starting to create this vacuum because when, you, when there's less of Christ in your life, if you look at the Bible, everything about the Bible screams Jesus Christ. When you look at Jesus Christ's life, everything about his life screams you and me. Okay? It's other-centered. So what happens when there's a disconnect between who we are in Christ, it starts becoming more about ourselves and less about others. There's, there's a... There's, a greater need now, more than ever, people don't know who they are. There's unhappiness, uh, suicides rate, suicide rates go up. Christians, millennials are the unhappiest of all. They feel a need of, lo- or they, they feel a sense of loneliness more than any other group. Not by much, a couple of percent. And what's happening is that there's a disconnect of who we are in Christ, and the self-fulfillment that we're searching for, we're trying to grab it in everything except in Christ. You can never know who you are as a Christian if you don't know who you are in Christ, and you can never know Christ unless you're applying yourself to the Scripture every single day, unless you're allowing yourself to speak to the Lord, to have a relationship with Him, to be moved by Him. We're not allowing ourselves to do that. We're finding the self-fulfillment that that happens, um, the desire for that in everything else but Christ, and it's starting to affect the very culture of our society. The culture of the society was built on, on godly beliefs. It was built on self-denial, self-sacrifice, Christian concepts, right? If you look at the culture of the day and the order of the day, it's, it's, it's now gone from self-denial to, to don't deny yourself anything, right? It's gone from self-sacrifice to I only focus on myself because I've got my family and God wants me to look after my family and I use my family for, as an excuse, looking after my kids and my mother and whatever the case might be, all important things. But it starts becoming so much the focus that we allow ourselves this, this justification that we don't, we don't have to follow God or we are following God by doing those things and we're deceiving ourselves. Right, where, where, where James, in, in James where it says, be doers and not hearers only, it's, it's crazy how God knows what he's talking about. Because when we, when we take that back seat and we allow ourselves 
to just focus on, on us, we start deceiving ourselves. It starts creating unhealthiness. And what's happening in American and Christian society is there's this, this need for self-fulfillment. We don't know who we are. We want to search for ourselves. And it's starting to create this vacuum in society where it's sucking the very life out of the believer. Out of If you look at how America was was built and there was order and so on, there's this massive degradation that's happening, and it's happening in the Christian's life as well. There's this dissolvement of, of truth and order. And when you don't focus on Christ and the vacuum is we start wanting to find fulfillment and self-satisfaction in everything else, it can never satisfy. You will always be grasping. You will always be led astray. You will always be searching, but you will never know. You'll never have peace. You'll never have joy. So our identity in not being Christians or, or identifying ourselves to the world, right? So we identify ourselves as Christians, but we live with the world, is, is what the study is showing. We, we like the idea more of the Bible, of Christ, than what we actually read the Bible, and, and us wanting to be more like Christ. We like the idea more of it. And that's what the statistics are showing. So, there's a word that I think we need to introduce to to the Christian vocabulary. And the word is predilection. All right, so predilection sums up what a lot of the stats are showing. It's showing it's a feeling that you like something. I don't, I don't really live that thing, but I like, I like the idea of it. We're doing a better job of liking the idea of the Bible, liking the idea of Christ, than what we actually read the Bible, apply what it says, and pursue Christ-likeness. We like the idea. There's a predilection, a liking of, but there's very, we're very bad at the living out. What would be cool, though, and it would save us a lot of trouble, is if we had to say to our friends and family, when they say, you know, what are your, what are your, your beliefs? Do you have any faith? And we went, yeah, I'm a predilection of Christianity. And like, sheesh, that sounds impressive. Where did you study? To which our response should be, the world. And then they might go, but listen, aren't you a Christian? Don't you study that Bible thing and follow that Jesus Christ? And we go, yeah, yeah, I mean, to a degree, but I really like the idea of it more than what I actually do. That way, we're at least saving ourselves and protecting ourselves and them that when we have this air of self-righteousness and they see we up and down and so on in, in life and we every which way, we're like chaff blown by the wind every which way, at least they know that, you know, it'd be like two old women sitting there going, you know, Margie's off, off the rails again. They go, that's fine. She's just a predilection of Christianity. She's not really a Christian. She has some Christ-likeness, but we can't expect much of her because she really isn't pursuing Christ-likeness. All right. So we 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 have this thing of identification with Christ and being a Christian. But the word Christ, the word identification or identify. Let's try and find if I went past that. I swear this is my first time I'm doing this. Second, you guys are shocked. So the word identity comes from Latin, identitas. And it says quality of being identical, mirror, image, reflecting the exact same thing. So we identify ourselves as Christians, but we actually reflecting the world and some of Christianity. And this is why we're doing such a ter- terrible job of of actually speaking Christ, living Christ, sharing with the world. 
it's, it's, we, we don't know who we are in, in Christ. If, if an Islamist had to say to us, same story, just a different direction between your God and mine, how would we respond to that? So I think we need to really start working hard on, on identifying ourselves with Christ and that, identifi- that, that identification the Greek word for receiving Christ is an adopting, a believing in, an, a, an, an ownership of, of Christ. Right? That's what the word receive means. It's not, that, it's not that he comes into our heart, there's a part of that, but it's more that we step into his world than what he steps into our world. We go from unrighteousness to righteousness. We all know the great commandments. And that's Matthew 22, verse 37 to 40. And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So if we know those are the two greatest commandments, and we know the great commission, also in Matthew 28, to put that into perspective and to start finding our identity in Christ, what, where that stands is, if the two great commandments is what we breathe in, then the very, the very life, the, the very lifeblood that we breathe out, that we exhale, is the great commission. Alright, that's how it works, to put it into perspective. So when you identify yourself as a Christian, you should be able to say, I'm a disciple. A Christian and a disciple, there's no difference between the two. All right, but we we buy into the Christian thing. We don't buy into the disciple thing because we don't know who we are in Christ. We do, we're doing a bad job of that, and not necessarily this church. Some of us, I mean, we could all work on it, but um, there's 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 a bit of disconnect between between these two things. So the Great Commission, you know, I only learned this a couple of years ago because everyone talks about the Great Commission and be disciples of men. I was like, it's only mentioned once, it can't be that important, you know, trying to, and I mean, I've, I've always had a heart for God, but I was like, it's just such a little bit to, to really like justify and cement all of that. It's needed, the Bible says so, but it didn't seem so important as maybe some of the other things, because I thought there's only one piece of scripture on it. Well, there's actually five, and I'll tell you about it, I'm glad you guys asked, I'll tell you. Okay, so Matthew 28, verse 18 through to 20. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So we all know that, and it's almost become just like a, you know, this thing that we all know, but not doing a good job of. Then there's Mark 16, verse 15. He said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Second time, the Great Commission is mentioned. Third time, Luke 24, 46 to 47. John 20, verse 21. Acts 1, verse 8. Great Commission is listed five times in Scripture, not just once. So for, for those that were ignorant like me, right, and the fault was with me, not with Scripture, it, it was me going, there's only so much emphasis that should be placed on it. If that's your thought, which is the wrong thinking, this helps you understand the importance better. If we take a look at the Greek word for disciple in Matthew 28, 18 through to 20, it's mathetes. 
the word mathematics comes from this. The math, the root word, is the, the, the sort of symbolism and the, the, the way of thinking behind it is to learn, to work through, to be able to know well enough certain principles to work through. So when we know God's scripture, we can actually work through it and we can, we can work with it, we can eat it, we can chew on it. Alright, and that's so missing. Uh, and the, the King James Version doesn't use the word disciple, it uses the word mathetes, which is to teach, and it means the exact same thing as disciple. The, the relationship between the two, or what the two connotate, is that there's a learner relationship as a disciple, so we learn from Christ, we pursue him, and then there's also a downwards, there's an outpouring, there's a picking up. So, the, 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 the disciple, what it literally means is to follow, to learn, while I'm pulling on and picking up. As I'm being pulled closer to Christ, I'm pulling people with me to com- be conformed to his likeness. I'm teaching them how to think about Christ. The very way they think about him, I'm teaching them and giving them the ability to actually figure things out for themselves. So... It comes down to intentionality. You're seeking depth and breadth, not just depth or breadth. Ravi Zacharias says that the number one thing that haunts him in his last 47 years of being in ministry is not focusing enough on discipleship. But he uses the word haunt. It's the number one regret that he has. He says, because what happens is, as someone comes to find out about God, there's this, they're searching, and when there isn't enough follow-through, all right, they've experienced a little bit about it, but they haven't really been taught how to think through it. There hasn't been someone guiding them and, and counseling them how to actually live this thing out. There isn't discipling that's being done. So what happens is they, get a, they develop an idea of it. It's obscured and so on because they don't have enough, enough content all right, to transform them, to, to teach them how to think through it. So they start getting this feeling of being there, done that, it didn't work, it didn't, it didn't fix my problems. And he says that you've left them in a worse position than what you first found them because of that being there, being there done that feeling. Because now they might only be pulled back if ever, all right, and if God wants to save the per- that person, he certainly can. Um, but it starts becoming more and more of a challenge when you've lost that person, when they're seeking and you've left them to their own devices. They actually, he, he, he's seen this through his experience that they're worse off than when you actually found them. A good example, I'd ask Ron Toby if I could use this. An example, I don't know, many of you know Ron Toby. And he allowed me to use this example. Ron's an orphan. He didn't have a mother and a father. Growing up, he, he had this mentor and this mentor started discipling him. He started teaching him. He started bringing him into his house. Christian man, good Christian man. And he would allow Ron to be there in the disciplining of his kids, sorting out issues and problems with his wife, handling finances. He started teaching Ron how to be a man, and he never had that example. That's discipleship. That is what Christ did for the disciples, he, he carried them through life and he taught them how to navigate life. Another example of this would be um, elephants in South Africa. And this happens all over Africa. But 
Elephants are destructive. They're hugely, hugely destructive. And when you have too many of them in one area, the whole environment around them literally gets significantly impacted because they just destroy so much that the animals don't have enough to feed on and, and so on. So they have to carefully treat elephant populations or it affects the whole ecosystem that they live in. So what they did, you get the Kruger National Park. It's the largest game reserve in South Africa. And they, they took a population of these elephants out and they moved them to a game reserve called Pilansburg. But what happened is they found out they could only take the smaller ones because when they took the large elephants, when they started lifting them up, they visually saw the brackets starting to bend. The, the big bull elephants were too heavy to move them. So they only took the small elephants. All right? And... These, when I say small elephants, and this is still a six-ton animal, it's not quite a full-grown bull at, or let's say full-grown bulls at six-ton, maybe this is four or five tons. What happened is they started finding dead rhinos across the Pilansburg. And when they did autopsies, they saw that these animals were crushed. Now, I don't know if you've ever been, had the privilege of being close to a rhino. There's not much that can crush a rhino. And they found that these elephant bulls, the younger ones were venting their frustration and so out on the rhinos and, and overpowering them that they would maul them to death and crush them. And how it works in, with elephants is that the grandparents are the ones that usually um, guard the younger ones. And if there isn't a grandparent, the, the parent usually takes over that role. But that's how it works in, with, with elephants. It's quite interesting. So what they did is they've, they devised a new plan, transported the big male bull elephants to, to the Pilansburg, and within a couple of weeks, those deaths of rhinos stopped happening. So, so significant and s- symbolic of our time in this age where young men are left to their own devices. They do not have someone to feed into them, to show them how to do life, how to think. And it's not just young men. But every Christian believer should be tapped into someone that's able to do that to them, a life group. Um, maybe it's not one-on-one. Maybe it's something that you tapped into where there is someone more mature teaching you how to do life. And every Christian believer should be doing the same with somebody else. That's what the very name Christian and being disciple of, of, of men, being a disciple, that's what it means. It's not just uh, I'm a Christian and I identify myself as a Christian. It's you saying I identify myself as a disciple and I move upwards towards God and I'm pulling someone while I'm doing that. Or many people. That's what a Christian is. So, you know, life, group, life groups really need to get on board with this. I'm wanting to, to implement this with life groups, a discipleship sort of um, series, the beginning of next year. And I really need you guys to be on board with this because the church is at stake in, in the sense of you've got these trained Islamists and so on, and they're taking people. We need to be doing a better job of teaching ourselves how to think and, and bring people up to speed, teaching them how to do life. You know, we, we do such a bad job of this because we identify, how we identify ourselves is with, with Christ. But the actual art doing the reflection, we're really bad at. It's obscured. And that's where Christ says the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. There's, there's, there's a lot of people that like the idea of it, but there's no one doing it, or very few people are doing it. I'm going to quickly, we've got these Bible tracks. And uh, hopefully you all got one. I know it was, it was crazy. I got 300 of these when I was trying to find enough to put in the, the bulletins they were, they were missing. 
and uh, people had taken or praise Jesus you know, you, we can all get some more of these but interesting story with these with these flyers we sometimes place such a such a need or a requirement. We feel that this requirement when we share the gospel with people. So now that we know where the problem is, that identity, the problem is our identity in Christ, the solution is also our identity in Christ. Okay, that's the problem, is our identity in Christ. So when we identify ourselves and we're working at that, and we now know that we're a disciple and we're meant to be making disciples of men, how do we do that? Here's a cool story. This is this guy, Frank Jenner, a little man in Australia, this pastor in the UK finds about um, this, someone in his congregation that came to Christ through this man. And what this little guy did, and it's a street in Australia, is whenever he saw people, he'd give them a fly and he'd go, excuse me, sir, if you die, you're going to heaven or hell. And, you know, most people are like, sheesh, haven't thought about that. And they take this thing, and obviously some people rejected it and so on, but many people took that thing just out of courtesy for, for the guy. And what happened is this pastor in the UK, through his travels all over the world, teaching at seminars and conferences, started finding out about the amount of people that were brought to Christ through this little man, just shocking the living living daylights out of people, popping up out of nowhere. It's a pretty cool story, but I'm not going to go into it now. We don't have time. But what happened is... After this pastor, about three years of finding this out, and it was all over, it was India, Caribbean, the Caribbean, it was here in the States, it was the UK, Australia, all these people that had come to Christ through this little man handing out these, these little Bible tracts. I think it's so, we, we find that this responsibility lies with us to, to share the gospel, but we don't realize the word of God is what does the job. All you need to do is make yourself available. God will sort out the rest. And this pastor went and he sat with this old guy. The pastor, when he met with this guy, to tell him about all these stories, two weeks later, Frank Jenner passed away. He was so old, the pastor said he was barely able to hold his cup because he was shaking so bad. When the pastor told him about all, all these endeavors, his endeavors and finding out about Frank and his ministry, Frank Jenner replied to him, uh, he burst out crying. He said, I've never heard of one story of someone coming to Christ. All these 40 years that I've been doing it. When he came to Christ, it, was such a, it had such a significant impact on him that he made a vow to Jesus, to God, that he would try and share the gospel ten times a day in some small way, either fully or in some small way. If you do the numbers, over 40 years, ten a day, that's 140,000 people that this guy might have affected. And just handing out flyers. So I think we over, overcomplicate this thing of sharing the gospel because we feel that the power and the responsibility lies with us. God says, Christ says, just be like me, be gentle, be loving, be there for people, care for them. And in so doing, your very nature is, is speaking out the gospel in people's lives. Right? And, and you know, I mentioned the, the, the bit of gospel, the, the, the passages that I know. Literally use about four or five passages when I share the gospel with people. It's all I need. How many of us can say our anthems? I can say... The South African one, which is in like four or five languages, and I'm, I'm, I still need, I'm working on the American one. But we can say these things from a very young age, but how is it that we don't know, if you had to sum all the words up together, a lifetime of Christianity, how many of us, why is it that we don't know a few short pieces of scripture to share with people? If we identify ourselves as Christians, if we identify ourselves as disciples, why are we doing such a bad job of it? Well, we know, because we're doing a bad job of identifying ourselves as 
Christ-likeness. We're not pursuing that. We're pursuing the world to a large degree, even if we, if we know that Jesus lives inside of us. So, you know, I, I just want to say, I've obviously, I've done a bad job of, of many things. We, we, we're broken, but we're not defeated when it comes to Christ. The sin that I've had in my life, which, which is many, I think another reason why we don't share the gospel is we find our identity, we start linking it up with the sin that's been in our lives, and we don't move forward because we find our identity in what we've done and not, not placing enough emphasis that when God looks at us, he looks at the righteousness of Christ in us. I find my identity not in my past, but in what Christ has done on the cross for me. If you find that identity and you really start understanding that and owning that, you will be compelled to move forward to share the gospel. I'm going to share some, some quick ways because we're running out of time. But, you know, it's, it's so simple, man. I, uh, I had my, one of my best men, Kieran, at my wedding last year. And, uh, you know, this is a guy that's thick into the world. But he's a good guy, he's such a good guy, man. I love him so much. And he was at my wedding and he spoke as one of my best men. He said, you know, Dave, you know I'm not spiritual, but you don't realize the impact that you have on my life and on other people's lives. I've I've never once spoken to him about God. As bad as that may sound, I know I've spoken enough about God in front of him that I've spoken to him, but I've never once actually said, Kieran, do you believe you're going to heaven or hell? After this, I've never once shared the gospel going, Kieran, this is the gospel. I've shared the gospel with him just because of the amount of time we've spent with each other. And it comes out through some things that I say, some principles that I drop here and there. Not even intentionally. I don't go into, when we meet for, for a barbecue or whatever, I don't go, I'm going to do this with Kieran today. It's a thing of, as I find enough worth in who I am and in Christ and, and enough worth in my identity that that's what's required of me, that as I move closer to God, it's not even a thing of, I think I need to do it. I just do it. I don't even have to think about it. So that's, that's one way, just relationships. Be there for people. Came across a friend of mine over here that uh, sort of had a cry out on, on Facebook, and he's not the type of guy to do this. And uh, I said, hey man, let's meet up. Met him. And uh, through just being there for him as a friend, with this relationship problem that he has, and, and showing how Lisa and I do it, I don't, I don't put myself as perfect. I go, sheesh, man, I'm fallen as well. But you know, I find my hope in Christ. This is why I treat my wife like I do, because I try and reflect the image of God in my relationship. This is why I do what I do, because this is Christ-likeness. And I was able to be there for him, completely not even speaking about going into it, wanting to minister to this guy. I ended up sharing the gospel with him. There was a girl in Paris. We were on this trip to Paris. And uh, we were on this boat, and there was a whole bunch of celebrities, in their, in their own right celebrities. Some of them were full-out celebrities, where they have hundreds and millions of followers and whatever on Facebook, LinkedIn, and all these, all these things. And the one couple, this guy goes around the world or the country, and he has this TV show with food and all these events and so on, and we had made friends with them. And the one morning I went down for breakfast, Lisa was still sleeping, and I went, I got an early breakfast. And this couple was there, and they came and they sat with me as I was having breakfast. He had to go off for a TV interview. She stayed with me. I had my uh, Wild at Heart by John Aldrich book that I, that I had with me that I was reading. 
He said, what is that book? So I explained, you know, the wild at heart and the concept of men being men for God and finding the identity in Christ. And she started sharing with me how she was raised Catholic, how she had such a, a heavy heart towards Christianity and faith and hadn't had a good experience of it. Because the Catholic Church, even though I know some really great Catholic men that I really know are saved and are doing great work for God, traditionally the Catholic Church hasn't done a good job of um, you know, teaching people to think relationally. It's been more about works. And this is what came out in the conversation with her. And I shared the gospel with her. And I said, this is, this is what Christ says it is to have a relationship with him. And I, and I really went into it with her. And after the conversation, she, she thanked me so much. This is a girl that I don't know from, from anything. Told me about her whole life, the experiences, the bad experiences, and so on. Not just in terms of spiritual side of things. Things with her family and, and so on. And I was able to share the gospel with her. And she said, you know what? Thank you so much. I have such a lightness to me. I've, just, I've loved this time together. And I found, I got her number. And I asked her where she, where she worships. I said, you should really try and go back to church and just see what it's like now compared to what you've experienced before. The Christ that I've shared with you, that's what the church is about, not what the, some of the bad experiences that you've had. I took the effort of finding where she lives, and I took the effort of looking at two or three churches around her. I messaged her with the, the location of those churches, and I said, you should pop in there. That's another way you can do it. Pray for opportunities. I was standing in line the other day buying cat food, and I've, I know, I should, it's, I'm embarrassed about it, but I've got, this little, I've got this little bag of cat food, and this guy's standing behind me with this great big bag. Now, I can make friends with anybody, and I realize we don't all have that gift, but there's various ways we can, we can use our gifts. And I sat there, and I was like, do you have Rottweilers, man? And he's like, no, box across Pitbull. So I was like, man, I feel so unmanned with my little cat food bag, and you've got that big thing. <laughs> And we started striking up a relationship, or a friendship, you know, we were chatting. And, I mean, I didn't get to tell him I'm pastor here at Community Life, or I attend, but there's so many times that I do, I don't even, the whole thing about me being a pastor, I don't even bring that up, I mean, it's so new. But in the past, I'll go, Geez, you know, this is uh, our fellowship here, or we should meet for coffee, or whatever, you know, it's been great meeting you, I'd like to find out more about you. It's so easy to share the gospel when you're trying to focus on people and not yourself. Because you know your identity is that a Christian is a disciple maker. So, uh, there's not time. We've run out of time. I was wanting to work through this gospel track. This is an interesting story in and of itself. It's crazy how God worked. But uh, there was meant to be two-day shipping on this. I ordered it on Monday. I picked it up yesterday, last night, at the, the postal service over here driving into the big boards, do not enter uh, authorized persons and vehicles only and so on, because they were meant to deliver it, and because the church was closed, they ended up taking it back, and I got the text message with it. But I drive into this, to the parking lot with, with all of that in mind, and this guy's walking to his car, and I said, man, now this is a long shot, and I know I shouldn't be in here, but there's, there's these things, I've ordered it. And I really need these things. And I said, I've got this tracking number on my phone. Can you just pop into the, the postal service and see? He works there in the delivery area. So he goes in and he comes out with this box. And I was, going, I was wanting to work through these. But take some time and read these things. Um, really learn them. 
you, if you don't feel comfortable speaking, just hand it to somebody and say, hey, man, um, I know, you know I'm not comfortable speaking to you about this, but just take this, read it. Or maybe you start becoming more comfortable with it because you realize what your identity in Christ is and you actually learn this thing and you start becoming far more effective for God. Um, so read through this thing. So in conclusion, the, top, the, the clock is ticking, guys. I've got about a minute. And we've got these people, we've got these disciples of other religions that are really doing a good job of bringing people to their religion and taking them away from Christ. That shouldn't be our focus. We should bear that in mind because I don't think we realize the battle that we're fighting out there. But we should be speaking Christ because we want to imitate Christ. And the very imitation of Christ, what that comes out or what that looks like is leading others to him. So, I really want to leave you guys with that today. Find your identity in Christ. Work on that. And work on, on just doing the simple things. It's, it's, not, it's not anything fancy. Just It's the little things that make a big difference. It's your life and it's your relationship with people that have the greatest impact on people coming to Christ. Let's close in prayer. Lord and Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you so much for my family and God here, Lord. We are, we are a united priesthood, Lord, through your through your Son, we, we are worth so much to you, Lord, that we are worth your Son dying on the cross. And we don't always own that. We don't always realize what that means. Help us to own it. Help us to, to own the Great Commission, the disciple. Go and make disciple. Go and make disciple. What is a disciple? It's someone that, that shows others you, Lord. Help us to be those people. We've got some amazing events coming up over the next few weeks. Give us the courage to reach out to our friends and just invite them to these events. And we don't even have to share anything with them. We can just invite them to the events and they can hear the gospel and be saved. At worst, they've watched a movie or they've eaten some jerky and they've seen that that Christians are cool and they can actually have fun. There's no no real work required. So uh, help us to know the power that you have through your word, Lord Jesus, and that that is enough. And just help us to be available to that. We pray this in Christ Jesus' name. Amen.